as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about my childhood, and I always joke around that I was raised by hippies. And uh, I was born and raised in Orlando, back when Orlando was a cow town, and literally you could get to the beach, you get a Cocoa Beach in 30 minutes, and that's hitchhiking, man. I'm just saying, it was, there was nothing. Now you couldn't even get out of your neighborhood in Orlando in 30 minutes. So anyways, it was just, everything was all just combined, you know, and uh, that's how we grew up. But I say I was raised by hippies because I had an older brother who was 14 years older than me and an older sister, 11. Then there was a big break. And uh, uh, then my mom had a lot of miscarriages, different things. And then she finally had me and then another little sister. So we were round two, I guess you could say. And, and I did. I throw this in a little extra. I found out when I got ordained. Most of you know, I grew up in the Catholic church. I, I went through Catholic grade school, Catholic high school. Um, and my mom and dad were always like, dad, you know, man, don't you want to be a priest? Don't you? Want? I said, no, I like girls, mom. <laughs> it was like, but that, that was my answer all the time. You know, I, so praise God, they didn't change that before. Otherwise that's right. But anyways, when I got ordained into the Protestant ministry, my two older sisters came and they were like, you have totally blown it. You have totally blown. I'm like, what, what? They're like, you know, that story of Hannah and Samuel. I'm like, yeah, I know it well, man. They're like, well, that was mom and that was you. And she promised that if God gave her another son, she would be, that he would be a priest and you had blown it. And I'm thinking, dude, <laughs> it was like, I had no idea, no nothing. I'm thinking she'd be pretty cool with this. But I was raised by hippies, man. And uh, so my, my older brother and older sister kind of like took care of me a lot. In fact, I'm going to go see my older sister this Thursday, Friday. We're at, Lynn and I are going to take a little trip up to the Redneck River up in the Panhandle. Uh, and where there's bears that literally they'll pull bird feeders off of their stock and eat the things and then put it back down waiting for you to refill them. So we're anxious to go up there and hang out with her. I love her very much. My brother buried him about a year or so, a little over a year ago. And uh, his son does watch faithfully on here. And uh, that's pretty cool. What's up, Frankie? And uh, but going back to some stories about him. So my brother, who's 14 years older than me, and I had cousins that were in that 11 to 14 year old uh, older than me range. Uh, they, they grew up in the sixties in Orlando. I mean, they were like prime high you know, teenagers, all of that. And, uh, I remember they used to have Bing surfboards, Chuck, you ever heard you, Gary Bing, you have a Bing ever? That was the only thing I could get from California were Bing surfboards, these giant surfboards. And they would all grab them from Orlando and they would hitchhike, uh, to the beach to they, they were in Cocoa beach a lot in the sixties. And, uh, they would make me always dig a hole. They would dig, they'd bring me, I guess, because I was good bait. So if a girl with a car came by, they'd see a cute little kid and they'd pick them up. And uh, anyways, but when we got to the beach, they'd always dig a hole and make me sit in a hole until I got old enough to talk and say, hey, I want to surf or I'm going to tell on you guys. And so anyways, that, that turned in and in the 60s, they were all down in Cocoa Beach area. And then in the 70s, people started migrating more towards Sebastian Inlet. So everybody found Sebastian. Everybody always finds your secret spots, don't they? And, uh, and, but Sebastian was great because not only did they have a great wave that doesn't exist anymore necessarily, but in the way it did, but there was fish everywhere. And, and literally, so what a surfer, what a beach bum dream paradise where you can just go and surf and you can camp out and whatever you sleep on the ground, whatever you got to do on your surfboard and you can catch fish and it, you don't even, you can eat, man. There were clams, there were fish, there was whatever you could just, Gary, can you identify with this at all? Hey man, that was you. This guy's like Zeke on, on, on surfs up, man. You ever want surf stories? Go talk to Zeke over here, but Anyway, and his wife will vouch for every one of those stories. And Chuck, Chuck was a little grom when he met him, right? Well, sort of. <laughs> that's how, yeah. 
And, uh, but anyway, so, so that, that's the way it used to be. And I used to hear the stories once in a while, my brother would bring me to Sebastian and, and we caught fish. I can just remember schools of bluefish or mackerel didn't turn time of the year. I had a little like five and a half foot rod with a little rebel lure on there. And, and you would see the birds, Gary, and you could just chunk out there and yank in bucket loads of mackerel or bluefish and cook them up right away and eat them. It was like paradise. And I'd go back to Orlando to my little Catholic school, and I'd be once in a while hanging out with my basketball team. This is like second, third, fourth grade. And I'd be telling them the stories. Yeah, dude, we would go and catch all these fish, bucket loads of fish. Meanwhile, in Orlando, we're at these little golf courses. They were turning our woods into golf courses. They were turning perfectly good pastures into a place where people get balls and okay. But and 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 so there were these golf courses and 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 we used to fish those little lakes in 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 the middle of the woods. Now we're dodging golf balls trying to catch fish, but we'd be catching little bluefish, and there were just something exotic about saltwater. And so I'd be telling him, oh my goodness, this is awesome. So Greg Topper, he had a mom who was German, and it just seemed like we could talk her into anything. I, I, I don't know if it's because she was German or what. She spoke, you know, kind of broken English, German. And Greg, I remember telling them stories. We'd spend the night and, 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 and we, he said, I can talk my mom into taking us there. And, and sure enough, you know, we used to think she was kind of like dumb or whatever, but, you know, like she didn't really understand and she got sucked into things that, you know, didn't really know what she was in for. But how many of all moms ever had that happen? It's not because she was German. She was just a mom that wanted to do something cool with her kids, you know, and, so it, it was it was Greg Topper and uh, his little brother Mikey Topper and me because I was obviously the instigator talking and 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 then we brought in like Tim Kepsel and then there would be you know we'd have all these different people and 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 talked his mom into going to Sebastian Inlet and we were going to go for a whole week and she thought it was just cool to get away and she thought she was going to be laying on the beach and that's what she really just did because we did what we wanted there was nothing here. Nothing to get in trouble with necessarily. Um, and I mean, we're fourth grade, 1974. All right. That's where I was at that point in time. And so, so man, uh, we, we would actually go. Uh, how many of y'all were around or you remember this area in that time? Anybody here? Gary? Yep. Yep. So uh, as you're going down to Sebastian, there's a little place called Floridana Beach. You know where that's at? And on the left, there was this little Floridana. I mean, you'd go for miles and there's nothing, dude. And there would be Floridana Beach Motel. It was your typical one-story jealousy window motel. That in itself was pretty awesome. Y'all remember sleeping in those? And Chuck, you remember, like, you had to cover yourself with blankets because the no-seams of mosquitoes would get in the jealousy windows. And there was the air conditioner actually put moisture into the air, I think. And anyways, it was pretty cool times back then. So we uh, talked Miss Topper into taking us, and it started with a few of us. By the time we were ready to leave Orlando, she had kids that she didn't even know she was taking. And literally, she had a Rambler. I don't even remember. Y'all remember Ramblers? Uh, who made Rambler? I was trying to think. Was it AMC? Was it a who? Nash made a Rambler. Wow, I was thinking AMC. Yeah, Nash. How many of y'all have no clue that there was a, Na a vehicle company called Nash? Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't part of Crosby Stills. <laughs> but, but anyways, so there was this Rambler, and this Rambler was a box vehicle. It was just a box, a big white box, I remember. Giant trunk, and oh my goodness, in a back window, there was a giant back window, because uh, how many of y'all remember driving when riding as a kid with no seat belts? And you remember the prime spot was to ride in the back window? 
Yeah, you were special. You, we fought over that seat back there, right? And we all made it. Look. <laughs> so, see, anyways, you wouldn't let your kid ride back there now, would you? Well, you would, but that's all right. It's because you got my jeans, all right? So, not those jeans, other jeans, all right? But anyway, so there was a Rambler, and there's a big, boxy vehicle, and she would be in the front. Miss Topper was a, uh, she was a, a beautician in Orlando. And in fact, in 1976, we were getting ready. We were a basketball team and we were getting ready to go to like the state championship tournament at Melbourne Central Catholic uh, and uh, playing this big thing. And we were the favored basketball team. That was when I was I was one of the taller ones. Uh, you know, you know how some people reach maturity earlier and then they just shrink or whatever. But anyways, so for this tournament, she was like she wanted to give us all permanence. This has nothing to do with my story. Just extra here. But dude. She gave us Mike Bra- or Greg Brady permanence. Anybody remember Greg Brady and Peter Brady? Can you imagine my hair with that? It lasted two days. It didn't even last for the tournament and everything. But anyways, Miss Topper was cool. She did weird stuff, and our parents would be like, what, Miss Topper did that? Yeah, So, but they still let us go to Sebastian with her. So anyways, we're getting ready to go to Sebastian Inlet, and we got a place at the Floridana Beach Motel. Man, there, uh, I, I would like, we'd all have these uh, two-piece 13-foot surf rods. That's what everybody used back then, right? Man, we'd get them at, at, at Zayers and and uh, and Monkey Wards and all that. And, and, and they would be inside. They would be in the trunk. I, I would borrow, Chuck, you like this, I would borrow my neighbor. I'd go into his garage, into his little carport, and I would borrow his Weber ski surfboard. Sometimes I let him know I borrowed it. But <laughs> I, we would shove that in there. We'd tie it with ropes on top, whatever. We just made it work. But we had kids piled inside this car. Kids piled inside. I don't even know how many were in the back seat, in the back window, and in the front seat. And there's Miss Topper driving, right? We had fishing rods, and we had all this stuff. And we were looking forward to getting to Floridana Beach. It was paradise. Orlando, we had jungles, man. We were swinging off of limbs, and we had vines. It was cool in Orlando, but Dude, saltwater, the beach, shark fishing, all of this was pretty exciting. And that was paradise. So, man, the cars only back then only top ended maybe, what, 55 miles an hour, 60. It started shaking at 55, right? Especially, I don't know if that was just because it was her Rambler or what. But, man, they didn't go very fast. So we spent a lot of time with a lot of people in the backseat of that vehicle. So what happens when you put a bunch of people, fourth graders, Fifth graders, sixth graders, Barb, what do you think would happen if you put a bunch of little fourth graders in the back seat of a vehicle? I mean, literally, and in the front seat, you got 10 kids in there. What do you think is bound to happen? Chaos, yes. It might start with Miss Topper saying, now we have some rules here. <laughs> we have some rules here. She sounded like Sergeant Clink on, uh, uh, what was that, Hogan's Heroes, whatever. Y'all remember that? We have rules, here they are, and we'd start off with the rules, but something's going to happen, right? Somebody's going to pinch somebody. Somebody's going to elbow somebody. Aren't you glad kids aren't like that today, Marley? Y'all are well-behaved, respectful. You don't mess with nobody, do you? And, but <laughs> it's not good to lie in church, my brother. But anyways, so we'd be back there, and one thing would start after another, and there'd be total chaos. Now, if you were a Florida kid... What did your parent inevitably take off their foot and reach back and whack you with? 
a flip-flop. If you've never been flip-flop, you aren't from here. All right? I'm just saying. Man, every parent grabs a flip-flop. Wait, wait, don't make me flip-flop you. Bam, 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 bam. And, and that calm. Now, if they had to pull over and flip-flop you, oh, buddy, that's something. So inevitably, there'd be numerous pullovers from Orlando to Sebastian Inlet or to Floridana Beach. And we would be flip-flop numerous times. And the worst thing is don't laugh when you're being flip-flop because it makes the flip-flopper even matter when they're flip-flopping you. But anyways, it would be uh, by the time, I told you Miss Topper was a beautician, right? Beautiful hair when she started the trip. Can you imagine what it looked like at the end? I'm not even sure she had hair. It was a long, arduous just journey. And you know what was cool? The coolest thing about her rambler? I had a Volkswagen like this later, but the coolest thing about her Rambler in the back seat, I remember everybody wanted to sit in this seat here, you know, the behind the driver. One, because she couldn't flip-flop you as easy. Her arm didn't reach around that way. She always got those people. But right in the floorboard, dude, there was a hole. <laughs> there was a hole that went all the way down to the road. Can you isn't that exciting? <laughs> Come on, man. What kid would not, what fourth grader, fifth grader would not want a hole in the floorboard going all the way to the road? Think of the possibilities. Because oh, she had a she had a cooler in the back with, with check, you know, we'd go in the trunk and remember check cola. They probably still have. When Dixie has all that, check root beer, all that, man. Man, whoa, oh, and don't throw anything out of the hole. <laughs> What is every kid to do when she tells them to do not do that? Oh, dude, we would all get it. Our ears empty. And we would all wait till the car was right behind us and drop it and watch it bounce off their windshield and be like, oh, she's like, you do something out the window, did it? No, off the floor. It was crazy. But it was a fun trip. But man, we got in fights. We got, uh, we had good times. We had bad. It was chaos. And she was frantic by the time we got there. And some of, some, you know, we had some kids that, you know, couldn't handle it, obviously. And, and, and they were all upset. They were all hurt and they were mad. We had other kids that were like seeing the kid mad and pushing him even further. I mean, it was, it, was, it was like a little microcosm of the world we live in. But Miss Topper, once she got to settle down, each time she got to settle down, guess what she would say to us? Two words. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. When are we going to be there? Just wait. How much longer? Just wait. I can't. I got to go to the bathroom. Just wait. Well, there's a fold in the floorboard, but I'm just saying, just wait. She kept saying, just wait, because when we got there, we now were going to be in paradise. Dude, as soon as we pulled up, she, I don't think she even cared where we went after that. But if you remember Florida on a beach back then, there was nothing. You play kickball on A1A and you never get hit by a car. You could sleep on it. You could go across the street and she knew the noceums would bring you running back. There, man, you could, we had a motel, we had a bed. Oh, dude, and this was such a cool hotel. Dude, to have one of the machines where you put a quarter in it and a bed vibrates. That was like a fair ride, man. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, I mean, we only went to high-class places, all right? And But it was the only thing on the beach. It was paradise. As soon as we got there, we piled out of the car, grabbed our fishing rods, and we all went to all different directions doing whatever we wanted to do. 
And it was the coolest. I, I wish I could hook up with this family. You know, were, there was a family that shark fished. They lived right there, like right across the street almost. And there was almost the only house that was there. And this family shark fished every night. And we got to know them. We'd go shark fishing with them and then try to duplicate what they were doing the next day. It was just awesome. It was paradise. But the ride was kind of rough. Hey, let me ask you a question. What's next for us, y'all? Paradise. How many of y'all would agree that the ride can be a little rough? You know, this week, that is what God has been showing me. Not only with you guys, we're all in the back of a little rambler. We're all in the back of a rambler, not with it, with everybody in the world. We're all in the back seat, man. He touched me. He won't leave me alone. He's driving me crazy. He's, you know, and, and making your little alliances and posses. We're all in the back of a rambler, not just believers, but we're, we're there with lost people. We're there with evil people. We're there. We're all together in the back of a vehicle on our way to eternity. Yeah, some people do fall through the hole and get thrown out the window and they die, all right? But what I'm saying is a bunch of us are going to make it. And while we're going in there, what should we be doing? What should we be doing with each other while we're in the back seat of that rammer? How many of you are annoyed by the people that you're in the back seat with? How many of y'all got annoyed this week by anybody you were in the back seat with today? Yeah. This is what God kept bringing me back to my days with Miss Topper every time. God, I wish this lady at Walmart you know how many you have, you have, you have 85 items and this says six, you know? I mean, you're all driving very slow in all the lanes. Get out of the fast lane. Well, I'm in the back seat with all these people in the Rambler. And God gave a specific direction because he says, if you just wait, you're going to end up where? Paradise. You're going to end up in paradise. Super quick, not going over all the eschatology like we did last week and out of the book of Daniel like we did. But man, what's next? Thomas, what is next? When Jesus is coming back, right? We got a rapture. What's next? Where are we going to be at the rapture? With him in heaven. And what are we going to be doing for seven years, my brother? Yeah, we're going to have a marriage supper, dude. You need to listen closer. All right, but I'm just, and I spent all week with you oh, in the back of the room. No, I'm messing with you. But, but yeah, we're going to be at the marriage supper of the land. You understand that? As soon as Christ comes back, as soon as we hit our destination, a seven-year wedding that everybody who is a believer is going to be at of all ages, and we're going to be digging it. How many of y'all got some, got some people that you love dearly that you're looking forward to seeing again? And you're going to see them there. And as much as you're looking forward to seeing them, you know who you both are going to look forward to seeing even more? Christ. Because he's the center of change. He's our groom. We're the bride. And as much as we love each other, it's not like, oh, Jesus, leave us alone. We're catching up. No, it's like, oh, look at Jesus. Look at this. We're going to be blown away for seven years. And what do you have at a supper? Food! How many of y'all are digging some food? How many of y'all like food? Nearly. Kevin, Kevin is my foodie buddy. Dude, we'll eat anything and we will eat lots of it and we will eat it efficiently. Amen. That is our foodie. If y'all want to join our club, you join our club. All right, but that's it. But dude, heaven, we're going to be in the marriage supper. That's what's next, y'all. 
So when you're in the back seat and scrapping with somebody and your next door neighbor, that guy at work, the people on the news, the, the next situation that happens, you're in the back seat. We're going to get some instructions on what to do. But just understand you're in the back seat and God's saying, just wait. I got something for you to do now, but just wait. We're waiting for that marriage supper of the Lamb. That's seven years. What y'all been, been doing for the last seven years? Anything close to that? Seven, you didn't remember what seven years ago was like? I don't. I'm just saying, man, it's just kind of going through. But seven years of that. And then as soon as that's over, what are we doing then, guys? What are we doing then? What, we have a thousand years, a thousand years on a perfect planet with a perfect body. Any of y'all ever had that? <laughs> no, none of y'all have had a thousand years. Uh, none of y'all ever had a perfect body and none of y'all been on a perfect planet. So a thousand years with a perfect body and a perfect planet that's what's after the, after the honeymoon. Is that not cool? So now we're at 1,007 years. Is that worth waiting for y'all? Yeah, and we're going to be ruling with Christ, and Christ is going to be physically present, which you know what that means? What would happen right now if he were to come into this room with full glory? What would we do? We die. What, what happened in the Bible anytime someone even seen, they saw a supernatural angel? What did they, what'd they say on the count of three? One, two, three. Yeah, oh, here, I'll give you the answer. They go, ah! <laughs> and, and, right? So on the count of three, what, what did everybody do when they saw just a, an angel? One, two, three. Yeah, and they fell over. And what did the angel always say? <laughs> Fear not. I know that's an angel joke. When they get to go do this, wouldn't you be? Well, I mean, wouldn't you want the angel to say, I'm coming, I'm coming, so just chill. Cover, put your sunglasses on. I, when the angel gets the call to come, the angel's probably, oh, dude, watch this. <laughs> and how many of y'all like to be an angel and sneak up on people? I'm just saying, but I don't know theologically, but I'm just saying that you, you see a little glimpse of God's glory. You pass out. And then they're like, don't be afraid. And you're like, oh, okay, what, what? And, and that's God's messenger. We, for seven, a thousand and seven years, are going to be able to live in the full presence of Almighty God. What do you think about that, Captain Mary? Isn't that cool? We can't even come close to that now. Now, at the end of that thousand years, okay, Satan's been bound. He's in the hole, all this stuff. I'm looking at it from our stuff. We're all, the world always wants to say, ooh, what's the bad thing? What are the horns? What is this? What is it? No, you know what? A seven years, a thousand years in a glorified body. I'm having a new body, a perfect body, and a perfect earth, and I ain't never had that before. How long is that perfect body and perfect earth going to last, y'all? Forever. Because after that thousand years, Satan in all the unrighteous, all those who never either believed God would send a Messiah or did send a Messiah, they'll all be put in the eternal lake of fire. And we don't want that for anybody. That's what our purpose here is as a church. And we're going to see what we're supposed to be doing on the back seat right now. But at that point, when all the eternal destinies are decided, if you have Christ, you now get a perfect brand new heaven and a brand new earth. How many of y'all, and you can have what's behind curtain number three. How many of you look when you see a brand new heaven and a brand new earth? What does he say it's going to come out looking like? Man, you go read the last two chapters of Revelation. You open it up. He says, oh, it's, it came out like a bride adorned for a groom, man. I mean, heaven is going to be spectacular. 
and we will have a perfect heaven, a perfect earth, perfect bodies going back and forth. Whenever God allows us and wants us to, he gives us, because we'll only want what he wants. And if you want what he wants, you get what you want, amen? So that's what's next. But right now we're in the back seat with a bunch of yahoos, right? How many of y'all in the back seat with a bunch of yahoos? Yeah, <laughs> we're in the back seat. So what do we do? As we were in Ephesians, the first four chapters, he said, he said, here's your wealth in Christ. This is what you have in Christ. This is your wealth. Now in chapters, I think it's like middle four and five, he starts saying, walk in it, walk in that wealth. It's one thing to have it, but it's another thing to use it. And he says, walk in it. And part of walking in it is that he says, make the most of this time, not your time. Well, how can I get the most value out of my 24? No, it's make the most of this time, this time that he has you alive. So how do we make the most or the best use of this time? One, we spent a whole hour and a half last week talking about this out of Daniel chapter two by knowing that a life with God is full of what? As opposed to, yeah, dude, you don't have any obstacles. You have opportunities. If you're serving a living, do y'all believe God is omniscient, knows everything? How many of y'all believe he knows everything? How many of y'all believe he's omnipotent and he can do anything? Yeah. How many of y'all believe he's omnipresent and that he's everywhere? Yeah. How many of y'all believe he loves you? Yeah, because the word tells us that. All of those things, if you believe all those things, Dude, every single thing that comes into your life is by his design, and it is for your good, but more importantly, it is for his glory. He does everything for his glory. Every When he has that yay who's sitting next to you tomorrow in the back seat, you're going to picture yourself in a rambler, right, bro? And you're going to go, oh, dude, I want to give this guy a headlock. I want to hold on to his neck until he stops breathing, and then he'll leave me alone. As soon as he goes limp, then he'll be all right. Then he'll be a good partner right next to me, right? Whatever. That person that's driving you nuts, the person won't pinch their head off. Man, whatever it is, that person is an opportunity for you to show them who an almighty, omniscient, omnipresent God is. That's your opportunity. Man, y'all just bought a new condo up in North Beach, right? Man, I know everybody in that condo is spirit-filled and full of love. And you should be the president of the condo board. And you will leave in two years. I'm just saying. But they're an opportunity. God has placed you there. He's the master of the lampstand. Dude, and he's the lamp. And we told, saw that if we have him, we are the light. And he puts us wherever he needs that light. And it's not an obstacle. It's an opportunity. We don't fight against flesh and blood, do we? No, we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities and powers. We, you know what? I'm going to put that in real simple terms. We fight against people who are being used by the devil. How many of y'all agree with that? We fight against people. Being, yeah, you're right. That dude sitting next to me in the backseat around me, he is being used by the devil. How many of y'all been used by the devil? You can't be possessed as a believer, but you can certainly be used. How many of y'all would say your spouse sitting next to you has been used by the devil? Don't say that. <laughs> That's what y'all trying to get you in trouble, man. No, literally has not. I mean, when you're being a jerk, you're being used by the devil. Okay, you're like, oh, I get it. Now, how many of y'all say I've been used by the devil? Yeah. And that's who we're fighting against is that. So in the back seat, the last thing we need to do is be used by the devil. We need to, we, we need to walk worthy of our calling. When we recognize it, we need to repent. 
We need to be filled with the Spirit, which is what we're going to talk about in this passage of Scripture here and see what it really does truly mean so that we can be the representative Christ that he wants us to be in the backseat of that rambler. Because right now he's saying, what are the two words? Just what? Wait, because in a few moments, we're all going to be in paradise. Yeah. You believe that? Yeah, seven years, a thousand years, in eternity, what is there not to wait for? Oh, your prestige and your power and, and your reputation and your credentials here, right? So the whole world, you know, is that worth waiting, risking? I'm not risking, you're not going to lose it, you're losing rewards, but man, dude, you're going to get rewarded if you act right in the back seat of the rambler, I'm saying. So, man, first thing we got to know that a life with God is full of opportunities, not obstacles. Look at Ephesians chapter five. We're going to we're going to start moving on in Ephesians here. Uh, Look carefully. Then how you walk. So look carefully how you sit in the backseat of that rambler. Look carefully when you're at work. Look carefully as you're in Walmart. Look carefully as you're riding down the road in your vehicle that's everybody knows is a dark. F-150 that's got racks and a surfboard and a and a and a and a, a, a paddleboard on top. Look carefully, walk carefully. How you walk, why? Because who do you represent? Christ. You just represent Christ when you got your MFI uniform on? No, dude. At home to your daughters, out when you're eating and being a glutton, like you know, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> this dude can pound some sushi rolls. Plus, I'm just saying. And I'm not making fun of them. I'm just impressed, dude, because I look at those things, man. But literally, he says, walk carefully. Look carefully how you walk. Look at this. Not as unwise, but wise. We've talked about this before, but the difference between unwise and wise is whose perspective you're seeing life from. In the book of Proverbs, how many of y'all read the book? have read the book of Proverbs? And, and, and again, I don't want to raise your hand, but... If you're not reading anything in God's word right now, you're kind of like, God, I just don't know where to go. I'm kind of stuck. I started this yearly thing. Now I'm three months behind. <laughs> so I quit. You know, I know I was there too. But some, a great man, old man of God, he taught me this when I first got saved. He said, whatever the date is, read that chapter of Proverbs today. There's 31 chapters of Proverbs. There's usually 31 days in a month. And so if you miss a few days, don't go catch up. Just read that day. But when you read Proverbs, he said, he said, pray and ask God to open your eyes and show you something awesome out of it. Show you one verse to apply that day. Make one verse stick out to you. And man, when you read Proverbs, whatever that date is, and you read it and have one verse stick out, write it down, put it in your phone, click it, paste it, do whatever you got to do so you can pull that up and, and you can focus on it. And by the end of the day, you'll see the application I think he'll give you the explanation. He'll give you many illustrations, but what the important thing is you'll have applications for it during the day. And it'll keep you out of trouble. I guarantee you, Proverbs will keep you out of trouble. It'll be something like, oh my goodness, if, if you're in an argument and, 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 and you want the argument to quit, what's it say? Shut up. <laughs> that may sound simple for y'all, but how many of y'all are like me and you need God to tell you shut up, right? <laughs> Yeah, he said, if you got a fire going, man, and you want a fire to go out, duh, don't put any more wood in it. But how many of y'all are famous for putting wood in a fire? <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? 
So Proverbs, man, just read whatever the day is and ask God to make one thing. And you, you have the mind of God. And then he said, if you want something else to do at night, read the Psalms. There's 150 Psalms, usually 30 days. He says, so he had me doing this, actually. And there's no magic formula, but start with whatever the date is, add 30 to that, read that one, whatever the date is, or whatever that one, add 30, add 30, and read five Psalms. And, he, and Psalms gives you the heart of God. If you've got the mind of God and the heart of God, well, wow, how many of y'all have kids? Anybody have kids here? I'm not talking about little kids, but how many of y'all wish your kids had your mind and heart? They knew they knew your mind and they knew your heart and they wanted to please you. Yeah, that's what God wants. Just from those two books to read. And so when it says walk as wise, uh, not as unwise, but wise, in Proverbs, the wise person is someone who sees life from God's perspective. And, and the fool, here saying unwise, that's kind of a nice way of putting it, but the fool is anybody, including believers, who makes decisions and acts as if there is no God. I wonder how many decisions we made this week where we acted as though there were no God. But he provoked me. You don't know. That dude humped a loogie in my ear on the backseat. I'm just, it's unlimited what people can do in the backseat of a rambler, right? I'm just saying. And nothing. We're still supposed, we're supposed to forgive. We're supposed to act appropriate. And we need to see life from God's perspective in order to do so. And so, again, we live in the backseat of that rambler. He says, while you're back there, before you act, think. How many of y'all have parents tell you that for? Think before you act. April, you ever try to tell your kids that? You ever try to tell Gavin that? <laughs> yeah, think before you act, man. But, well, who's going to be spontaneous here? No, but anyways, on that. Think before you act. So he said, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise. Don't walk like you're a person who has no God. Man, I love what Kevin brought up in Matthew 6.33. I think when Jesus preached on this planet, he had basically one message, and that message was the Beatitude. It was, it was the Sermon on the Mount. And he culminated the Sermon on the Mount by saying, all right, guys, listen. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about where you're going to live. Don't worry about you. But you, that's what people who don't have me spend their entire existence doing. He said, but you seek first, seek always, seek only what? The kingdom of God in his righteousness, which is doing what your king wants you to do at any point in time. And then he says, what's going to be added to you? Whatever you need. And I have found more often than not, the biggest benefit is he keeps all the things out of my life that I don't need. How I many of y'all got a bunch of junk you don't need? And sometimes you don't realize that until you get older, right, Kathy? You're like, what the heck? My kids don't want this Mayflower China that Aunt Effie brought back from, you know, from me. No. Goodwill don't even want that stuff no more, man. I'm just saying. It's like, but yet we sold our soul for it. I beat up some old lady in the Goodwill line just so I could buy that. I'm just, I'm just. Literally, that's the way we live in the backseat of the rambler, isn't it? But he says, seek first, seek only, seek always the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything you need will be added unto you. Walk, look carefully how you walk, how you act in the backseat of that rambler, not as people who have no God and are just living for the moment, and you're planning and scheming so everything works out while you're on this ride. But he said, live as people that know you're fixing to hit paradise. You're going to be there shortly. That's why patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit, because a lack of patience makes us ask wrongly in that, isn't it? 
So man, start thinking, realizing everything that comes in my life is an opportunity, not an obstacle. Look what he even says, making the best use of, what does he say? What time? The time. This time. Not your time. Not a, this time that he chose to have you alive, which I think is a very exciting time. What generation in America ever got locked down? <laughs> what generation in America has ever experienced all the crazy junk we have in the last couple of years? You know, we're like, oh, I just survived in the backseat of the Rambler. And, and, you know, I know pastors right now. I was talking with a guy who I mentor a lot of young pastors. I was talking with a guy who actually mentors a lot of pastors of all ages. This week, we're walking on a sandbar and he was telling me, he's not even from here, but he was telling me, he's like, man, I have never in my life met so many discouraged pastors. And, and you know what many of them are discouraged about? Because now that we seem to be in some peace and safety, all their churches want is to go back to normal. What's normal? What we used to have, they want to go back to something instead of seeing that God has given us a very special time in history where he has gotten everyone's attention. He wants to reach everyone. Do you understand there's people out there that are scared? Fear has no light, no place in the life of a Christian. Faith does. And man, when you see them afraid, and if you're afraid, ask God for the faith and share that faith with them. They're afraid. Man, they can't count on their 401ks. They can't count on their college education. They can't count on the career the way we thought we could, right? It's all shaken up in the backseat of the Rambler. And God's got you back there to say, dude, isn't this a cool ride? <laughs> isn't this awesome? I can't wait to see what God, God loves me and he knows everything, can do anything. And he's everywhere. He's right here in this rambler, <laughs> which that would change the way we act a lot too, right? <laughs> God's there to flip-flop anytime you need to be flip-flop. But I'm just saying, <laughs> he's already with it. And, and, and to let people know, why aren't you scared? Why aren't you afraid? Why aren't you freaking out? <gasps> you just got this diagnosis. You just got, what, why aren't you freaking out? Because I have a God that loves me. This is not my home. He, the more I love him, the more he gives me the desire and ability to love you. And this is not it. We're here and we make the most of it. But dude, next we got seven years at a wedding. Kevin, we get to eat, baby. I'm just saying. There, Gary, there's going to be chicken gizzards better than you and I have ever eaten at Maryland Fried, man. It's sushi rolls. Like, I don't know what's on the menu, man, but it's going to be seven years, a thousand years. Perfect body, perfect earth. Then there's going to be eternity. And the most awesome part of it, who are we spending all of it with? God Almighty in all of his glory. Just wait. And that's what we're supposed to be sharing with people during this time. Make the best use of this time, the time, because the days are what? How many of y'all agree the days are evil? Yeah. Evil is anything against God. Show me any, poli any political, show me any government, show me any social organization aside from the church that is, that is for God. Even organizations set up to help people are doing it the wrong way because they're not doing it God's way. So, it's, man, you make the best use. Show them in the back seat. Show them. They want to do all this. Show them what you got. Show them that it's around the corner. Show them that, man, we're fixing to be in paradise. 
at some point. And that will keep us. If we're doing the right thing, we can't be doing the what? The wrong thing. How many of y'all get in trouble doing the wrong thing just because, well, it's just there. <laughs> well, I got to do something, right? <laughs> do the right thing. And you don't have time to do the wrong thing. But we also make the best use of this time while we're in the backseat of this rambler by seeing life from God's perspective. We're going to dig into this just a little bit more in this next verse. Look at this. Therefore, therefore, do not be what? And a foolish person is someone who acts, even a believer, who acts in a particular situation as though there is no what? No God. So when you freak out because your resources aren't enough, how are you? Are you acting wise? Are you acting foolish? When you're freaking out thinking that you just got to get rid of this person that's in your life right here because, uh, because they're driving me nuts, are you acting foolish or acting wise? You're acting foolish. You And again, there may be a time for separation at this point, but you got to see life from God's perspective. He said, don't be foolish. Don't act as though there is no God. See life from my perspective in doing what I, what I want you to do in this. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. But he said, understand what the will of God is. Understand, not just know what the will of God, but understand the will of God. And people get real confused over that because they want real super specific. You know what most people, when they say, I want to know what the will of God is in my life. You know what you want? Thomas, if you ever said that, I want to know the will of God in my life. And it's like, and you probably said it that way in your head. Isn't that what you say in your head? I want to know the will of God in my life. And, and when you're saying that, you don't really want to know what the next step is most of the time. And I'm just picking on you because I love you and I know you and you know I can pick on you, right? These folks, I haven't started picking on them yet. They're from California, and they just got here. So we always tell people, if we don't scare you off, welcome to the family. But if this is not the place for you, I've been a pastor for 20-something years around here, and I can help you find the church you're looking for. I hope it's this one, but I, I can help you. No, no, you know, that's just the way life is. So we'll pick on you in a little bit, all right? So don't feel, you guys don't feel like you're, like, being neglected yet, right? Okay, good. Want to know the will of God in your life? Do you really want to know the next step or what do you really want? You want to know God's five-year plan, don't you? Isn't that what people want to know? They want to know the five-year plan. They want to know the 10-year plan. They want to know the 15-year plan, just like God gave Moses, huh? Just like God gave Abraham. You remember when God told Abraham, hey, Abraham, first of all, I'm going to give you, I'm going to make a nation out of you, you old man, who there ain't a Viagra in the world for you to produce, but I'm going to produce a kid for you. And he goes home to Sarah and he's like, yeah, but the very first step in all of this was, he said, we're going to leave. You're going to leave and go leave the land of Ur. You're going to go. Can you imagine when Abraham went home to his wife and said, hey, we're hey, how about that? Your wife already left you, didn't she, man? I'm just like, no, but, and the kids, you're all on your own now. You're like, all right, this isn't, I'm digging the rambler seat now. No, but anyways, but, but can you imagine going, hey, hey, honey, we're leaving. Well, where are we going? I don't know. God just said we're leaving and we're taking everything we have. We're just leaving with everything we have. And I don't know where we're going. How long are we going? I don't know. All I know is God said to leave. How many of y'all have wives that would like a little more detail? <laughs> How many of y'all would like to know a little more detail? Yeah, but again, don't be foolish, but understand the will of God. God didn't give anybody really a five-year plan, a ten. Joseph, you brought Joseph up in your prayer. Man, Joseph, did he have a 10-year plan, a 15-year plan? No, Joseph stripped naked of the only thing that gave him identity, his multicolored coat that meant his, everybody in the world loved him. 
He didn't even probably know his brothers hated him because <laughs> they had a bit more trouble. He they stripped him naked, threw him in a pit, sold him. What do you think he's thinking at that point? I got, yeah, <laughs> I got no choice but to follow God. That's my best option right now in the backseat of this rambler. That's what most people want to know, the will of God, but they want to know out, way out in the future. And I want to ask you a question. If you are faithful to take every step God asks you to take, will you end up where you're supposed to end up? Yes. Will you end up where he wants you to end up? It's one step at a time. And you know why he makes it that way? Because y'all are dumb sheep and you can't handle any more than that. And I'm right there with you. Isn't that good news? Can you imagine if he did give us a treasure map? <laughs> We're like, oh no. Y'all went geocaching, right? Can you imagine if the will of God was that way? <laughs> yeah, that would be a mess. He gives us one step at a time. That's all we can handle, or he'd give us more. He loves us too much to confuse us, but we confuse ourselves. We've got to have faith and trust that the next step is the right step, and then the next step, and the next step. And then we're going to end up right where he wants us to be. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Right now, I would say the will of the Lord is for you to listen to what God's got me saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> There'll be plenty of time to think about dinner later. <laughs> I'm telling myself that, all right? <laughs> we're almost done here. <laughs> you're, uh, you're such a liar. You lie in church every week on that. Almost is relative. All right. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. It's taking whatever step he wants, realizing that whatever he puts in our path. Jeff Essinger just called me this morning. Jeff in um, April, they're missionaries at M MFI. He called me this morning and he said, Pastor, he said, we're not going to be at church today. And we're not going to be, his, kid, his oldest kid just came in. We we're going to all go boating on Tuesday, all this. And he said, my mom died this morning. So be praying for Jeff and April and their family. They're heading back to Alabama tomorrow morning, probably in that. So you mean to tell me, Pastor, that that's, I got to see that from God's perspective? You mean to tell me, Pastor, that getting news my mom just died, that that's for God's glory and it's for my good? Yeah. But the only one who can really show you that in your heart while you're sitting in the backseat of this rambler is God. One thing in your life is if you don't, if this is you and this is God and you don't let pressure get between you, what does it do? It pushes you and God closer together. But if you let it get between you, it separates you. So whatever it is that goes on in your life, man, he says, don't be foolish and act as though there's no God. I know every single detail about the way and the birth and the time and the place of every single human being that ever exists and everyone that will. And I know every detail about them leaving this planet. I know everything. I'm not surprised. I've orchestrated it all. And you got to trust me that I'm a good God. One day you'll be able to understand, but I'm not telling you right now because you can't understand. You're a dumb sheep. I mean, I'll agree. You're a dumb sheep. Yeah. But I can understand. I want to know if he, you need to understand. Just do what he told Moses. Moses said, hey, I want to know some more information about things. And God said, you know what? The secret things belong to the Lord, Moses. He said, there's things I got. I'm not telling you because, dude, I'm just not going to tell you why I'm not telling you because you wouldn't even get that. <laughs> just whatever you know to do, do that. How many of y'all could stay pretty busy just doing what you know to do? So when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. 
and, and, and you're taking that step and you're going to end up. So he says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. That's understanding that he's got you where he wants you. And he is going to be glorified in every situation. And it's for your good, because as you understand who he is and his will for you, you become more like him, which is what you're going to be in heaven. So also by being filled with and controlled by God and not this world. That's how we make the best use of this time. I, I, you hear me joke about the news. I don't care what, what news, Breitbart, Fox, CNN, whatever. CNN still exists or they go off. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm joking. I'm like, whatever. It doesn't matter because here it is. We're all focused. We're all focused. And what happens? Boom, they throw the rubber ball and oh, there we all chase it. Oh, we're all chasing it. And I, you're like, but no, that was a real tragedy. That was real. You know what? Whatever it is, yes. But it's not supposed to consume us. We're not supposed to be controlled by this world because they're going to throw another ball. And you got to really watch out. What does a magician do in order to do a sleight of hand? They get you distracted. Again, this is all like, that's why God says we focus on the truth. I not saying I'm oblivious to this world. I want to know enough about what's going on in this world so that I can know where people are at and know that they need Christ and I can tell them the truth. But I'm going to tell you this, folks. I don't have to know everything about the world. Do we truly need to do an autopsy on a rotting body to know it's dead? But that's the way many Christians feel. Oh, I need to know everything about this. And, and you know what? You get ingrained, and guess what you're not doing anymore? Now you're in the backseat of the rambler with everybody else. Oh, did you hear this? Here's the solution. No, here's the solution. No. And now we're fighting, and all of a sudden, who's doing this for Christ over here? It was totally successful. So it says, we do what we're supposed to do by being filled with, controlled by God, not this world. Look how even Paul puts this. He said, don't get drunk with wine. Again, in Ephesus, they had a temple of Diana, okay? They had uh, Artemis. He was another dude there. But they had this temple, man, and part of their, um, part of, part of their, their ritual, part of their, their church was temple prostitutes and alcohol and drugs. Some of y'all are like, well, where do I find that one? Well, I'm going to tell you what, it's not where you find Christ. Back in your old life, you may have looked for something like that, and you may have chased it and found out that it was a bubble, a soap bubble, that when you finally caught it, it popped and was worth nothing. That's why you've given your life to Christ, and you wouldn't trade it for anything else. But they had all of that, and Paul's telling them, you guys during tough times are starting to get lured back into this old stuff. Don't get drunk with wine. This isn't really just talking about wine. This is talk. you get drunk with the news. You get drunk with social media. You can get drunk with your job. It's being intoxicated, controlled by something other than Christ. And if something's controlling, you can be controlled by religion, by a church, by a pastor. Your relationship needs to be with who? With Christ. Don't get drunk with wine. And by the way, if you want to know how God feels about all this, there isn't really any place in Scripture where it talks about not being able to uh, drink alcohol or whatever. I don't because I, as you guessed, I, I, you might be hard find this hard to believe, but I am an I'm either all or nothing person, dude. <laughs> you might find you know I'm usually temperate and moderate, you know. But man, when it came to alcohol, dude, I'm all or nothing, man. And you could imagine this drunk, most foolish. I spent 26 years that way and no glory in all of that. 
I am so grateful God pulled me out of all of that. I have no desire to be in time. In fact, if I ever go to a doctor and they got to put me under, I'm like, oh, I have people pray for my spirit-filled la-la land. I have done so many things to, oh, to mess with the enemy and his kingdom that I need to stay sober. I need to stay in my right mind. I need to be able to be focused. I can't afford to have my mind be even foggy or clouded because that's when the enemy is going to attack. And you can't either as a believer. You imagine that person you've been praying for to come to Christ. Oh, man. Come. And imagine that they call you at some point and then you're stoned out of your mind. Because I got a legal weed card, man. Or, or, or you're, you're drunk because, well, there's nothing wrong. Christians can drink alcohol. Well, I'm not going into all that. That's not what I'm going into. But what Paul did say when the Corinthians, the immature Corinthians kept saying, oh, we're allowed to do this, but not this, and this, but not this. Paul said, here, put four questions before you. Is it helpful? Is what you're doing going to help you and help others spiritually? And they go first. Is it going to be hurtful? Is it going to hurt others spiritually or hurt you? Is there a potential? Is it habit forming? Because if something has control over you at any point in time, who doesn't have control over you? Christ. Or is it honoring to God? That's where he really finally came down and said, dude, is this honoring to God? And so again, imagine you need me. Imagine your mom dies. Imagine you call me. And it's, and, and it's 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock, whatever time, two o'clock in the morning. That's when it used to be. I'm just saying, imagine you call me and I'm trashed. What good am I at that point? I don't know when God's going to want to use me. I hope he wants to use me all the time and I want to be ready. Gavin, you've been working with electric, like, like you got uh, drill. You're like remodeling all kinds of stuff. You don't plug your machines in no more. You got batteries, right? Man, good NICAD batteries or whatever they even make now, right? How about when you're in the middle of a job and the battery dies and all your batteries are dead? How does that make you feel? That's God when we're not accessible. That's God when we're in a pity party. That's God when we're not being able to be used by him at a particular time. Man, you could be the best drill in the world, but if your battery's dead, dude, that's a pretty big letdown, isn't it? And that's what we're like when we have something else control us. So I'm not legislating anything to you. He does say here, don't get drunk, period. And me personally, that means I can't, I personally, I'm not legislating none for you, but I can't personally have any, and I don't want any, because A, I don't know when the next drink's going to put me over the edge, and B, I don't ever want to be, if I ever go over the edge and get drunk or I'm intoxicated, the devil's going to kick my butt. I got to stay sober. I got to stay vigilant, because I have an enemy that is like a roaring lion that is seeking to devour me, Peter said. And when's he going to come devour me or try to? When I can't fight back. So I don't want to be controlled by anything. Right now, I could be controlled by disc golf, right, Gavin? <laughs> Dude, I'll go home and I'll look, oh, what's a new disc? Oh, I have all, all these discs. I'm going to go, my body's like falling apart, but I'm still going to play disc golf. I can be controlled by disc golf, right? He said, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. This is what he's telling us to do. Be filled with the Spirit. This word filled, uh, it, it's spoken of in three different ways. One way is a sail that is filled. A sail on a boat when it's filled. Uh, what does it do to the boat when it, how many, got any sailors here? <laughs> yeah, got, uh, yeah. Uh, Carolee, what is it, what, what good is a sail that is filled? What is it doing for the boat? It's moving the boat. It's, it's actually, if you look at it, how the wind is uh, 
you know, the air is moving faster around the front and slower there. It's actually pulling it, but it's energizing the boat. It's giving it all the energy that it needs, right? And that's what being filled with the Spirit, he said, it's like wind in a sail. That's where you're going to get your energy. I used to have a sailboat. One day we'll talk about all that again, that, 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 that time in my life. But we had a sailboat. We used to circumnavigate the Abacos with that didn't have a motor. Well, it had a motor, but we never bothered fixing the exhaust. And you might as well not have a motor if your exhaust fills up your cabin. But <laughs> we sailed everywhere. We depended on sail. And one time I remember leaving the Bahamas, y'all. Man, we'd go over and we were in West End, Jack Tar Village. That's what it was called then. They probably got a new politically correct name for it now. But anyways, we were there at Jack Tar Village and my buddy was a high school art teacher. And he had to be back the next week, like to actually go start teaching and had, was actually supposed to already be back. And we, heard, we, we felt a little bit of wind, man, and we took off. And right as we reached that purple water, I mean, it's purple. All of a sudden, the wind, because it's so deep, the wind quit. And we're sitting there listening to the halyards clanging onto the mast in purple water drifting. And what's the name of that stream that's out there? The Gulf Stream that starts going north, but it goes out east. <laughs> and, and oh, man, we're, and they're shipping channels, dude. They don't see us. They're on autopilot. And we're like in the middle in purple water. So we're like going crazy. We're diving in and jumping back out like, come on. And we weren't Christians. We couldn't even ask for God to bring wind. Any wind, we tighten, we trim the sails, trying to get a little energy out of it to go a little further. And then it would die. And then we'd get some more wind and go a little further. We were shooting for Jensen Beach to get back so we'd get back up to St. Augustine. You know where we actually made landfall at? I'll never forget this trip. I, it was early morning, and I see a red and white uh, striped building. I'm like, land ho! I didn't really say that, but it was like, like cool things. I, I saw a red and white striped building, and I'm looking. We didn't have binoculars, man. I'm looking. I'm like, dude, that's a Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> So we try to pull in, we throw the anchor, we took our 16-foot dory named Arthur, man, and we're rowing Arthur in, it was Satellite Beach in the Atlantic, right there, Chuck, and we row by all the, all the surfers, all, everybody's surfing in a little waist-high swell, and they were like, what the heck, man, and we had a bath in days, and we just surfed on through by them and ate a Kentucky Fried Chicken, that's where we made landfall, but it, to get there, every time the wind picked up a little we had to trim our sails because I needed that energy. In there times in the backseat of the Rambler where you got no energy, where you're tired, you're whooped, but man, you got to be looking for that energy. You're looking for the wind. You're looking for God to give you some, and you, but you got to be ready to take it and trim the sails. And progress is direction, not speed, y'all. Progress is direction, not speed. So anytime you feel the energy of the Holy Spirit, you, you, you want God moving. He said, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled as a sail is full. And there's, how many of y'all know there's times where it's hard to experience God? And there's other times where, dude, you're just, woohoo! <laughs> you're sailing like down in the keys like you were doing, right? Man, just wind everywhere. We have seasons, don't we? But there's some times where, man, it's hard. That's why we do this thing at the beginning of our service, the praise jar or the, the joy bucket, because if you're seeing God work in your life, that can be an encouragement to somebody who hasn't seen him in a while. All right, dude, I'm ready. As soon as God wants to put some more wind out there, I'm trimming my sails. 
but I'm staying faithful. I'm doing what he wants me to do. And before you know it, you got some momentum going. Another thing that this is for, and I think we'll end with this and we'll finish this in later, but this other part of being filled is actually, it was uh, talking about something being salted. <laughs> How many of y'all like to cook? All right. Uh, have you ever, have you ever put too much salt in a recipe? Have you ever oversalted a recipe? That's not, oh, you don't use salt? Oh, yeah. Wow. You must be good. How many of y'all ever put too much salt in something? Yes. I, and your, and your, your spouse, your people, you know, yeah. Well, if you put salt on something, it permeates, it preserves. It means that no matter what bite you take, it's going to taste like what? Salt. And that's what this being filled, being filled with the Spirit is it's t- another way this word filled, pluero, plu, pluero, oe. <laughs> I don't do Greek, man, but you can look it up. But it's pluero, something like that. But it means not only be pulled like a sail being pulled, but it's talking about meat being salted, something being permeated where it, 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 it's totally saturated with it. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It's not some esoteric thing that. By our, our, is, a, is achieved by the spiritually elite that God chose and decided to throw some Holy Spirit on him, and you can't have that. You've got all the Holy Spirit at salvation that is possible. He just doesn't have all of you. So what's got to happen is it comes from you being in the Word and having a continual surrender to everything He's showing you moment by moment by moment in His Word. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. He's permeating you like salt. And the next one's probably easy for you to understand. Have you ever met somebody, Karen, have you ever met somebody filled with grief? Okay, if they're filled with grief, what do they, how would you describe their life? Grief, <laughs> right? Have you ever met somebody filled, I'm not going to say filled with food, Kevin, but you ever, you ever met somebody filled with joy, y'all? With joy? Filled with joy? They're just permeated with joy. The joy is controlling them. Have you ever met somebody filled with fear? Filled with fear, and all they are, what, what are they thinking of, MJ? Dude, man, an ant could touch your foot and you're freaking out, right? I see people out in the water, and when we get walking around the water, the people who are filled with fear, dude, a little, a little minnow, a little baby, you know, some will touch them and like, ah, they're dancing because they think it's Jaws. When you're filled with fear, Fear overcomes you. When you're filled with grief, grief overcomes you. When you're filled with joy, joy overcomes you. When you're filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God is permeating every aspect of your life. Part of it might be emotional, but what it really is, is you in the Word of God, getting to know the God of the Word, and it's continual submission to whatever He's asking you to submit to. That's how we can make the most of this time in the backseat of this rambler, not getting drunk on whatever the world has to offer, the next crisis, the next solution, the next, oh, dude, how many drug commercials are there? Oh my goodness. Hey, so do you have a headache? Hey, take this new drug here, but you're going to have anal fissures and you're going to be incontinent and your breasts are going to fall off and your teeth are going to come out, but you won't have a headache anymore. Oh, sign me up. Somebody must be getting signed up because they got enough money to run commercials. 
I'm just saying, you won't get sucked into the next thing when you're filled with the Spirit, when you're full. Kevin, when you're full, now I know this is a dangerous question because, dude, Thanksgiving, I have been so full laying on the couch that there is nothing I could eat. And then all of a sudden, they cut the pie. <laughs> Key lime pie, pecan pie. And get, oh, I, I'm going to shove some more in there. But for most people other than you and me, dude, when you're full, there's no room for anything else, is there? So if we're full of the Spirit, dude, we're full of the Spirit. And there's not room for all of the other garbage of this world, the debauchery, he calls it. Last but not least, I promise we're going to bust this out. Helping to see others see, see life from, uh, others see life from God's perspective. So in this, we got to realize, this is what we do in the backseat of the Rambler. We, we, we got to realize everything is an opportunity and not an obstacle because God's still in charge. We have to see life from God's perspective, and we also have to help others see life from God's perspective. Look at this uh, in these last two verses. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing melody to the Lord with your heart. How many of y'all know somebody that you do not want them singing a single note to you ever? That would not be a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Some of y'all, like, I always have somebody different sitting next to me during worship. <laughs> and, uh, but, but it's talking about having a song in your heart. And, and it comes out, and again, yep, we're just making a joyful noise. <laughs> but a song in your heart. Man, have any of y'all ever had a song in your heart? Did you have a song in your heart this morning when you were talking about what God did? Yeah, that's what it's talking about. Who put that song in your heart? Yeah which is way different than the, when the world puts a song in your heart. When the news puts a song in your heart. Man, when you got a song in your heart, dude, it's there. You're stoked. That's what it's talking about. When you have a song in your heart, is it just for you, Mary? No, you're supposed to be singing it in Amanda's ear. <laughs> joy, yeah, there you go. And, it, and he's not telling us, oh, see, biblically, if you and your church aren't doing psalms and you're not doing hymns, and they're not spiritual songs. And I'm obviously heard it preached. To, no, that's not what it's talking about in context. In context, it's talking about you being filled with the Spirit. And have you ever been filled where God's just put a song in your heart? And you're just like, guess what? Guess what? Guess what? It may come out in a melody. It may come out in words. But dude, it's a song in your heart, man. Chuck, you called me or text me on Thursday. And it was so cool. Gary, you know who came to Bible study on, third, on Wednesday night? Man, uh, it was uh, Doug Davis. Doug came. He lives in that neighborhood. And the dude who owned the surf shop, uh, uh, Sheila and yeah, Greg and Sheila came to Bible study, man. And next day, Chuck was so stoked, man. They couldn't believe you were in Bible study, I think is what it was. And they're like, yeah, man. And Chuck's firing off all that. It's just like Chuck had a song in his heart. The next day, he's like, that was a pretty cool thing God did. That's a song in your heart right there. Because, man, what fellowship we were all able to have when we didn't necessarily have that in the waves before, did we always? <laughs> it's not that we didn't necessarily, yeah. There was a song in our heart, man. That's what he's talking about. When you're full of him, man, and that's what you do. Kind of, can you imagine, hey, did you ever get in the back seat back in the day before everybody put headphones in? I remember as a youth pastor, they came out with Walkmans. And, and I remember some old men said, yep. These kids, they're not going to talk to anybody anymore. They're just going to go isolated. And, 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 but guess what, dude? We do have the zombie apocalypse now, don't we? And you got, uh, again, I'm not blaming it back to Walkmans, but I will say, 
We're supposed to all be in the back seat singing together, man. You know, that's what we're going to do at the end of this. We're going to be in the back seat singing together. That's not just how we close because, all right, good. We're going to sing this and I and go eat. You know, you can do that if you want, but we're worshiping God because he spoke to us. Man, God, you put a song in my heart. I have hope. I know what I'm supposed to be doing in the back seat now. And it isn't what I was doing. So addressing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your what? Oh, go back to that. With your what? Your heart. So it doesn't have to be your vocal cords. <laughs> For those of you like me, it can be. <clears throat> Ash's like, please don't sing. <laughs> yeah. In fact, one of my greatest fears is that my microphone is on when we sing. So if it ever is, you have full permission to tap me on the shoulder. It is an accident, I promise. All right. With your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything. So what are we supposed to give thanks for, Karen? And when? Oh, my goodness. How many of y'all have encountered, dude, did you encounter any circumstances this week that would have been hard to give thanks for? Yeah, yeah. But he said give it for everything and always. So if he's telling you to do it, to always give thanks for everything and always, then who do we have to talk to sometimes about figuring out why and how to give thanks? Him. One of the greatest things he's ever shown me is giving me the permission to say, God, why should I be thankful for this situation that's bringing me anxiety? And let him answer it. Because he's the one who said we give thanks always and everything. Being ungrateful is not being spirit-filled. They don't go together. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ because of the relationship we have, knowing He's in charge, knowing He's got it under control, knowing He handpicked us for this. Thank you, Jesus, for picking me and trusting me and empowering me. Now, just give me the perspective to know what's going on, or at least what I need to know what's going on now. And look at this last one. This is it, and this is where we pick up next week because we're going to hit a chapter of all this submitting stuff. <laughs> But first, before you see, submit, wives, submit to your husbands. Kids, submit to your parents. <laughs> Employees, submit to your employers, which is where we take it in the world, like tries to bash our gospel, like it's a bad thing to submit. Who does he tell us submit to first? Look at what he says, submitting who? To one another, out of reverence for Christ. I got to trust that Ashley's hearing from Christ, that Emily's hearing from Christ. I got to trust that John's hearing from Christ. I got to trust that that Kevin's hearing from Christ and Christians. I got to submit because I trust you're hearing from God. And, and, and submitting is a military term that means that you line up under somebody who's in charge and do everything in your power to make them a success. You understand? Submitting is doing everything in your power to make somebody God put in charge of you a success. The exception is if they're wanting you to do something against Scripture, you don't do that. And it will cost you. But if it's not that, you do everything in your power to make someone a success. Can you imagine in your marriage if all your husband ever did was try to make you a success? Go ahead, say it. He does. He does now. Can you imagine if your wife in your relationship, all she ever did was try to make you a success? Can you imagine what that is? You're supposed to say, yes, I live with it every day. It's awesome. <laughs> But can you guys imagine what it would be like if our whole life was dedicated to making whoever we were around a success? Can you imagine what a world that would be? 
if everybody in the back seat of the Rambler was trying to make everyone else a success, what a cool world that'd be. So when we start hitting about wives, submit your husbands, you know, submitting to your employer, submit your kids in the next few chapters before we get into the armor of God, before we get into that, understand that it's by design. And who does God hold accountable? Does he hold the submitter? He holds the submitters accountable to submitting, but he holds the authority accountable for what for them listening to what he wants them to do and them leading in that direction. So sometimes it's a pretty cool gig to be in that submission role because the people in leadership are going to be held to a higher standard by God Almighty. So if you're in that position, take it serious. So how do we make the best use of this time? By seeing life from God's perspective, by being full of and totally controlled by God and not this world, by helping others see life from God's perspective, knowing that a life with God is full of opportunities and not obstacles. That's what we're supposed to be doing in the back. See the rambler, y'all. Y'all ready? Because in a minute, we're going to pray. We're going to sing. we get out of here. And now you know your marching orders. You're fixing to hit the backseat of the rambler. <laughs> Go for it, man. And don't be a jerk. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. I'm so grateful you give us your word. That we have direction. We don't look at your word as like, oh, there's God with his rules cracking the whip on us again. No, we look at you, the one who knows everything that can do anything that's everywhere, the one that's before us and in us and ahead of us. You're trying to give us an opportunity to be more like you and serve you and worship you. You're giving us an opportunity to bring you glory. So, Father, I pray that our love for your word would grow. And in turn, we know our faith would grow. And in, as our faith grows, we know our love for you would grow. And as our love for you grows, we know that we would be more in love with others. And that's truly what we're supposed to be doing in the backseat of that rambler. So, Father, increase our faith, increase our love. And, Father, I pray if there's someone here that's never given their life to Christ, that today they would just totally surrender whatever they know about you to everything they know about themselves. <clears throat> they would just surrender it all and just say, I want you to be my boss. I want you to come in my life and take over. I'm going to totally trust you to tell me what to do every moment from the back seat of this rambler until you take me home. But until that time, I'm going to be encouraged to know I got seven years of a marriage coming up. Awesome wedding. Thousand years in a perfect body on a perfect planet, which you never experienced. And then an eternity with a brand new heaven, a brand new earth and a perfect body all in the presence of Almighty God. Father, thank you for that. And I pray if someone doesn't have it, they would want that today. And you would give them what they need to have it like you did all of us. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name.